Welcome to the Holy Saviour podcast. Hope you're doing well and are having a good week. Apologies for the delay in uploading, but you join us for the final part in our top five sermon series as we think through together what are our top five priorities as a church for 2024. This week we're going to be unpacking reaching new generations. Enjoy. So let's check who's awake. Um, who can um, remember what is our vision? As a church. There's that one there, but that's not the vision. That's not the vision. Those might be our top five priorities, but that's not the vision. Anyone feeling brave? James? That's right, to be a beacon of hope in Bitten and Beyond. Fantastic. That is our vision. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at... Our top five priorities, we've looked at um, how we're called to bring hope, uh, to reach out to others, to grow as apprentices to Jesus, to look after one another, to show pastoral care. And today we're thinking about our priority as a church to reach new generations. And when I look around at the church and we see all that's going on, uh, it's really, really exciting. You know, uh, often our fireflies, our uh, baby and toddler group, there is full. Every week we've got 30 spaces, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they are uh, invariably taken every week. Um, I, I ignite our after-school club. We have an average 25 to 30 children coming along, and uh, the majority of those don't come to church or have very uh, little other interaction with the church. Our 412 youth groups have somewhere between 65 and 70 young people each week coming along. And then if you just look around uh, next door uh, in uh, the furnace, you'll see uh, it's just uh, brimming with uh, children and young people. It's really exciting to see week in, week out. But we do know and we do recognise that uh, youth and children's ministry is costly and painful. We're only scratching the surface in terms of uh, the number of children and young people there are in our parish, the potential that there is. And we long so deeply that each and every single person would journey deeper and that many, many more would come to know who Jesus is in a life-transforming way. Ultimately, our prayer is that they would, uh, as well as each one of us, would become lifelong apprentices to Jesus. And I'm sure in a room like this, uh, there'll be many of us sat here feeling the pain of loved ones, maybe our own children that we've prayed for, we've longed to come to know Jesus, those who we've uh, faithfully taken along to church as they were growing up and yet found as they've become independent that they've stepped away from that. And that's painful and sad to realise and to see. And, you know, the church is, is not the best PR machine. There's no end of reports that talk about the warnings we have to, to face, the reality we have to face as churches uh, about the need to reach new generations. Just over uh, 10 years or so ago, the uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, warned that the church is only one generation away from extinction. Those are his words, nice and cheery on a Sunday morning. But when we think about that, really, I mean, it's just a simple statement. 
we are only ever one generation away from extinction because if we do not take the responsibility of sharing about the faith and telling other generations about Jesus, then it will just die out. That's the nature of it. We all get older, we all die, and if we don't pass that on, it is going to end. So it's a simple statement, but it is still uh, true. And it has always been the case. From Psalm 78, it says this, My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We will tell the next generation. That's what the psalmist David was talking about. The need to tell the other generations, the next generations. And we, as a church, want to tell the next generation. That is what we are about. And this morning we've heard that fairly famous passage of uh, Jesus and the children. His interaction with them. And I believe there's three points uh, I'd like to unpack. There we go. First, children matter to Jesus. Secondly, children need bringing to Jesus. That's just a practical statement, and we're going to unpack that a bit as well. And children show us how to receive Jesus, that we can learn from them. So firstly, they matter. Often, I believe, and it's still the case today, that children sometimes are not hugely liked. I think there is at times a tendency to think of them as a bit of an annoyance. Here's two quotes I'd love to share with you. I wonder if you can work out who said them. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when the elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs and tyrannise their teachers. That's the first one. Joyous quote. Second one. What is happening to our young people? They disrespect their elders. They disobey their parents. They ignore the law. They riot in the streets inflamed with wild notions. Their morals are decaying. What is to become of them? Any ideas where they came from? Almost. Yes. Yeah, we might think that we'd find such... Letters, such quotes in the Daily Mail. But they're not, in fact, letters to the editor. They are, in fact, from Socrates, uh, it was the first and the second is from Plato in the fourth century. It's always been an issue. In ancient times, children were not particularly valued. Sadly, like women, also they were poorly treated. Unwanted children, especially girls, were left outside to the elements discarded. It was one of the defining things about the apprentices of Jesus in places like Ephesus, that they went out, adopted and raised up these children that had been abandoned on the hillside and left for dead. Children were seen and not heard, or perhaps often not even seen. But the reality with Jewish parents was different. 
They saw them as a blessing for, from the Lord. Which is why in this, cho- in this passage, uh, parents are bringing their children to Jesus. To be blessed as they have been blessed as a family. And in Luke's retelling of the passage, the word that's used for children uh, kind of refers to babies and even the unborn being brought to Jesus. So here in this passage, Jesus gives dignity, value and worth to children, even from the very beginning of life. In a society where they were not valued, and in fact they were only eligible for Roman citizenship after their first birthday. And we hear that the disciples, they thought Jesus was too busy to be messing about with the children. But in verse 14, we hear, it says this, that Jesus was indignant. Let them come. Do not hinder them. Children clearly matter to Jesus. He blessed them. He welcomed them. He taught them. He raised them from the dead. He healed them. All of these things we hear throughout the, the Gospels of Jesus's interaction with children. It's one of the things, uh, if you've watched The Chosen, I think it's in season one, that you see uh, the way in which Jesus is interacting with the children so beautifully in that. Jesus spent time with children and developed friendships with them. And here Jesus says, the kingdom of God itself belongs to children. That is so unbelievably countercultural. One writer says this, One will search ancient literature in vain for sympathy towards the young, comparable to that shown by Jesus. You can search ancient literature in vain. You will not find any other example comparable to the compassion showed by Jesus. Children matter to Jesus. And actually, when we look around our society, on the whole, we don't recognise that picture of uh, Roman times. A bit of children being treated so badly. And why is that? So many years after Jesus. Because I believe that Jesus, because Jesus showed that children matter, Jesus' attitude continues to affect the way society is. The church has, in fact, been at the very centre of protecting children. Many of the various acts and laws that have been passed uh, in more recent history were pioneered and championed by the church and the apprentices of Jesus. So I wonder what would Jesus make of of the, the, the decline in the church of children being brought to him today? In 2001... 173,000 children were in C of E churches on any given Sunday. In 2019, that number almost halved to 94,000. That's a huge shift. And post-COVID, I'm sure that shift has gone even further. And again, the C of E, with its brilliant PR machine, says this. The overall pattern of church attendance and participation is one of steady, gradual decline. (laughs) Isn't that great? Steady, gradual decline. And there's something about that 
uh, quote that makes me want to shout, not on my watch, it's not. We're not going to allow that to be the case. In verse 14, Jesus was indignant. And I think that Jesus' heart breaks when he sees the state of the church and the lack of children being brought to Jesus because children matter to Jesus. And that leads on to our second point. Children need bringing to Jesus. It sounds obvious. Children can't, on the whole, bring themselves. They're dependent upon their parents or grandparents. In verse 13, we hear that the children are being brought to Jesus. It doesn't say in the passage who was bringing the children to Jesus. But I don't imagine it was random strangers picking children up and bringing them to Jesus. But I imagine it was their parents or grandparents who were ushering them up to meet this teacher, Jesus. And you know, I'm all too aware when speaking about our need as a church to reach new generations, that we can find ourselves in that narrative of feeling that we're a church that focuses too heavy on these things. That perhaps we forget about the older people, that we don't prioritise reaching adults. And you know, that, that isn't the case. That saddens me to hear that narrative sometimes spoken. Because on the whole, adults have the freedom to attend. They can make, you can make, we can make the decision to gather together. To make provision for ourselves. Children and those in their later years becoming more dependent need the support of others to create spaces for them. And so naturally, that is a priority. But when we say we long to see and reach new generations, we naturally long to see whole families, uh, adults included, come along. We want to make church an accessible place, a welcoming place. We're not sacrificing adult ministry for the sake of children's ministry. The two sit together hand in hand. You see, children are dependent upon the church being there for them and their adults. The disciples were turning them away. And sadly today we do find some churches turning children away, making it so difficult for them to find their way and place in the life of church. I believe Jesus would be indignant at children still finding themselves being rejected. Verse 14, let them come and do not hinder them. Or perhaps do everything you can to help them come to me. When we look at the church here in Bitten, we do have lots happening. It happens because we have an incredible team of volunteers who give of their time so generously. But we do need more people to help in this area. We do need more people to help make uh, the capacity grow so that we can invite more. You know, we're going to have a bigger building space very, very soon. It's going to be a reality in, in about five weeks' time. And it would be wonderful to see that place being filled. But throughout the week at things like Ignite or 412 or um, Fireflies, that can only happen if we've got the safety of uh, adults there running it, team there encouraging and welcoming people. We need to grow our capacity in order to grow. And if you feel perhaps God's giving you a nudge about that, then come and speak to myself or Ruth or Sadok. We'd love to hear. You know, it's financially expensive 
doing youth and children's ministry as well. And we're so thankful for the way in which people give so generously of their time and their talents. But again, there's that invitation there. If you're not giving already, then do. Speak to Fiona. She'd love to hear from you. But perhaps you don't feel in the life stage to be able to offer finances or to be able to offer time to volunteer. Perhaps maybe you feel too old that you need to leave it to others. But I wonder if perhaps you could give the gift of friendship. It's generally thought that uh, people who become Christians on the whole do so before they reach 19. And one of the things that was most impactful to me growing up and becoming a Christian at the age of 14 was uh, the welcome and the hospitality I received from those who were older. There's a lovely lady called Iris. And I think uh, as I uh, became a Christian, uh, she just got to the point of retiring from work and offered herself to the youth team and said, look, I've got a free diary. What can I do? And the amount of adventures I had with Iris uh, was amazing. I learned so much from her. I never would have, in any other realm of my life, have spent so much time with someone so significantly older or had someone of that age who wasn't a family member invest in my life so much. And perhaps we might be able to uh, befriend and welcome young people or the parents of children, create opportunities and spaces to cheer others on. Yeah, it might be simply coming along to fireflies and cuddling some babies so their parents can sit down and drink a cup of tea that's hot. Or it might be coming along to Hope Cafe and, and taking the time to chat to some of those who've just literally turned up from the school and are absolutely exhausted, are so thankful that their children are someone else's responsibility for the next five, six hours. And just to hear, you know what? It might be hard right now, but you will get through it to cheer them on, to remind them that this isn't there forever. The tantrums, the parenting challenges, whatever it might be, they'll pass. We can do that as a church, to show welcome, to show Jesus. And thirdly, children show us how to receive Jesus. In verse 15, it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child is not coming in. We can't enter the kingdom of God unless we do so like a child. It doesn't mean to be childish or to have an infant-like faith. But you see, children are entirely dependent upon their parents. Even now, our 14-year-old and our 12-year-old, they might argue that perhaps they're not dependent upon us, but they do need us. No matter how much they'd like to argue and say that they know better. Deep down, they do long for that connection, for support, for advice, for listening, for wisdom, for nurturing. But almost every night, there's a debate in our household about bedtime. (laughs) Elijah, our eldest, he's 14 and I'm a big fan of his. He's an awesome young man. But given the opportunity, if I said to him, doesn't matter when you go to bed, you decide your bedtime. He would go to bed so late. But you see, we know, because we've been there, that he needs sleep. 
You know, even at the age of 14, even more so than a newborn baby, some would argue, with the rate he's developing. And the loving thing we can do as parents is to encourage him to go to bed at a decent time. And you know what? When we tell him to go to bed, despite him telling us that he's not tired, he doesn't need to go to bed and his mates will stay up later, you know what? He falls asleep. It's incredible. He falls asleep and he wakes up in the morning generally refreshed. Normally by the time he's leaving for school, he's woken up enough and he will report that he is feeling awake and ready for the day. Children are utterly dependent upon their parents. One writer says this, which I really love. Children are noteworthy for what they lack. They are small, powerless, without sophistication, overlooked and dispossessed. Jesus thus emphasises in the strongest possible way that the kingdom is offered to the helpless, the needy, the powerless and the weak. Children have no roster of achievements to credit to their credit like the Pharisee. The one who tried to you know, show how great and wonderful he was in order to get uh, his place in the kingdom. Rather, they are like the tax collector whose only merit is unworthiness. If we were to continue reading Mark 10, it goes on to the next thing that happens is, is the story of the rich young ruler who comes up and he says, look, I've lived my life perfectly. What do I need to do in order to get the kingdom of God? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, he asks. And Jesus' answer is essentially that you don't do anything, but rather surrender everything. Recognise your own need of salvation, your utter dependence upon God. Become like a child. You know, we might come before God with all our merits, our achievements and reasonings for why he should love us. But the reality is, and as children get it, we are known and we're loved freely by God just because we are. D.L. Moody uh, was an evangelist who brought thousands to know Jesus. But he said this towards the end of his life. If I could live my life again, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Should we do the same? Will we, like D.L. Moody and like the psalmist, will we declare that we will tell the next generation? Because they matter. Because they need our help practically. And they show us the right posture to receive Jesus. Why don't we pray? Thanks so much for listening. Hope you found that helpful. If you have any questions, as ever, do simply get in touch with vicar at holysaviour.church. Alternatively, check out our social media channels for all the latest news and info about what is happening. Take care, have a fantastic week and see you soon.